0: To Genesis 6, 7, and 8. Some can go to 6, some can go to 7, some can go to 8. Just not that we're going to read all of this, it's a very, very familiar passage um, regarding uh, the flood, the worldwide flood that we want to look at today in our study through the book of Genesis. And I was. I was just reminded as uh, Brother Scott was sharing about the mission field of Spain and how postmodernism is just prevalent and secularism, that there is no God and why bother me with this, that over and over again we're running into this. In, in our age today, and uh, a week or so ago on Wednesday night, uh, somebody shared that uh, they were visiting with someone that goes to church, active in their church. But in their discussion, this individual they were visiting with said, "Well, you know, I I don't believe that stuff in the first few chapters of the book of Genesis, and and you know that that's too far fetched, and and intimating that." This that we're looking at and that we've been studying for these several weeks in the book of Genesis is just a, a fairy tale. It's just a story that's given and, and makes a nice story. And um, this is something that, that you're going to run into, not, not just with people that are avowed atheists, or that are agnostics, there, there are even people that profess or uh, would, would come, they would say, under the umbrella of Christianity, and, and they would take that same same thought and same mentality. Um, today, we're going to look at uh, this aspect of, of the flood and... And just try to give you some answers. As I was um, hearing this morning, um, you know, we need to be prepared to give an answer to every man that asketh us a reason of the hope that is within us. Now, not everything that, that God tells us are we able to give at this stage where we are to give a logical, definitive explanation. There are things, as we saw last week when we looked at Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared in art. For Noah to say to them, um, there's going to be a flood, there's going to be rain, there's going to be water everywhere. He couldn't explain fully how that was going to happen but he accepted it by faith but we live in a time where it is becoming increasingly more popular to say oh if you believe that stuff you're you're crazy there's no way that that could have happened um, it is interesting as as more is researched and more is studied, you begin to see the feasibility that it it's not, indeed it was a miracle, but it's not something that is like science fiction stuff that's way out there. But again, I say all that to say that this will be a, a little different message in the sense that that we are trying to equip us so that we can give an answer, and then we're going to come down and see um, lessons that we learn from the flood. You've probably read, someone once wrote, all I really need to know I learned from Noah's ark. Number one, plan ahead. It wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. Noah didn't wait for his ship to come in. He built one. Stay fit. When you're 600 years old, someone might ask you to do something really, really big. Don't listen to critics. Do what has to be done. Speed isn't always an advantage. The cheetahs were on board, but so were the snails. Remember that the ark was built by amateurs and the Titanic was built by professionals. Don't miss the boat and no matter how bleak it looks if god is with you there's always a rainbow on the other side okay those are some some basic somewhat humorous but but truth as well but uh, we want to then come down and and think what what do we learn from the flood but you know just the aspect of of the the size of the flood the image of the flood there's a lot of false images that are put out about the ark. And I think they're going to put up here, um, this is the, the false view of the ark. This is a pretty common one. How many of you have ever seen something like that? You probably have books at home with that in it. You might have it right sitting where you're at in the Bible. Now, realistically, that isn't at all what the art could have looked like, okay? It didn't have all these portholes with the pigs sticking their heads out and monkeys sticking their heads out and things like that. But it makes for an entertaining picture. But this is the picture that many times is in people's minds. And then they, they run into someone that denies this and they start coming at them with things, well, there's no way that that all the animals could have fit on the ark, and and how would they have done that? And they start looking at this and say, Yeah, I remember, man, the elephants were hanging off one end, and the giraffe, boy, his neck was flying all over the place, this and that. And, And images are important. And many times people's faith is undermined, and oftentimes it doesn't ha- it's, it's pretty shallow if, if it is undermined. Reality is a true picture of the ark is something that looks like this. Now, God didn't tell us exactly what the ark looked like. He told us the size of the ark. He told us that uh, in Genesis 6, he told Noah to build an ark, 300 cubits, and the breadth is to be 50 cubits and the height to be 30 cubits. Now, there's, there's some variety in, in what a cubit is. But generally speaking, if you take from the smallest cubit to the largest cubit and kind of took an average of it, the arc would be 400 to 450, 500 feet long. Just to put it in perspective, it's nearly twice as long as a Boeing, well, it doesn't have to be Boeing, but a 747, okay? People say, were there, we'll get to this in a little bit, were there dinosaurs on the ark? How could they fit on the ark? Well, you see the size of the dinosaurs compared to the size of the ark, and the ark was 73 feet wide and 45 feet tall. Just to give you a picture in, in perspective, and, and incidentally, if you want more information, right here at this this web page is loaded with information. The vast majority of what we'll be sharing uh, came from from that or from from other sources. But just to give you a picture in comparison, the size of the ark to a football field Um, right here it it shows in comparison roughly um, it's a football field and a half in length and it was it was made of three stories and uh, it was large it 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 was capable of holding 14,000 tons or the equivalent of 522 railroad freight cars. It had 96,000 square feet. A little bigger than the average home, right? You could fit 20 regulation-sized basketball courts in in Noah's Ark. Um to, to give you a picture, Noah's Ark was, um, was the largest of wood ships that, that were made until um, sometime after it. It was uh, slightly smaller than, than the Titanic, but had much better success than the Titanic, all right? But people ask the question, how could Noah build an ark? Did you ever stop to think that it, the Bible does not tell us that Noah and his sons built the ark by themselves? He certainly could have had his father and grandfather and their families help him. He—it's not out of the question that um, that he could have hired other people. But it isn't even out of the question. That he and his family alone could have built the ark themselves, but see, skeptics will say, "Oh, how could they have done that?" Um, you you think of the the understanding that we have, and, um, and Noah in his day. See, sometimes we buy into the evolutionary thinking that we today are a lot smarter than people that lived way back when. There's no indication of that. In fact, there might be indication that it's not that way, all right? Um, technology has spread information much faster than it was able to spread before. But uh, you go back, uh, early civilizations had... had. Um, had great, great techno technology, and in in sawing and drilling, and um, only a few centuries uh, removed from Noah, um, the Egyptians were sawing and drilling granite and so on. Um, but it, it it's not beyond the realm of feasibility that Noah could. And his family, themselves, or with other help, could build the ark. Um, people say, well, imagine that. And, and we kind of alluded to it last week. Of How did Noah get all the animals in the ark? How could he, how could he round up so many animals? You notice in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 20, when Noah was given the command... God said, um, of the fowls, verse 20, we're just jumping into the middle of this for the sake of time. Of the fowls after their kind, and of cattle after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after his kind, two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive. Notice what it says, shall come unto thee to keep them alive. God is the creator. God created every one of these animals. And uh, the animals simply arrived at the ark as if called by a, a homing instinct, if you please. It's interesting, the word that is used in, in the Bible here describing um, what Noah was to build as rooms is, is the word in Hebrew that identifies it as a nest and and God um, God designed these animals, and God has designed even yet today, we are far, far from understanding the marvelous animal behaviors that the the geese and the birds and the monarch butterflies and all of these in their timing, you know it's not. Uh, Uh, It's not where all of a sudden there's an announcement, All right, Canadian geese, it's time to pack up and head south. How do they know this? And the same God that put that in them is the same God that is over them. See, it's a matter of how big is your God. But at the same time, God said to Noah that, I will bring them to you, and and I will identify, and, and you will bring them into the ark, and some will say, well, were there dinosaurs on Noah's ark? Well, absolutely there were dinosaurs on Noah's ark. Now, you know, we don't have the time to go into it, but oftentimes as Christians we shy away from the reality like dinosaurs is the secret weapon that that evolutionists have to blow us out. no it isn't. Job talked about dinosaurs in job 40 they were a created being and and they walked the face of the earth and we find we find fossil records of dinosaur prints and human prints in the same strata. You don't read about that. In fact, they seek to destroy that. And again, it, it comes back to show you the battle and the warfare that there is against God. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. But um, remember as well, God could have brought and may have. We He left a lot of things... Um, Not specified, but he may have brought juvenile um, animals that were still young that would have had a lifetime of reproduction. He didn't have to bring the old Dino the dinosaur, the old man in, you know, crawling in. Um, But at any rate, this is what God said he did, and this is what he did. And many times... What I'm trying to get us to realize today is that you don't need to fear discussing these things. You don't need to fear that that they can bring up impossible questions that, that you can't answer and that all you have to say is, well, the Bible says it. The Bible does say it. And we do believe it. But we also can understand the very realm of possibility that there are more than one way that God could have done this. How could Noah fit all the animals in the ark? Well, understand he didn't have to fit two of poodles and two of beagles and two of Pomeranians. I don't, well, I defend people if I said that, but I guess they're in the dog species aren't they or whatever He didn't need every species he needed two dogs Those that that have have studied this much more than I say that there were roughly between 16,000 and 18,000 animals Species that were needed to be brought onto the ark. Um, It it only carried the air-breathing, land-dwelling, creeping things, the winged animals such as birds. They didn't need to bring the fish. They didn't need to bring the whale or other amphibious creatures. They were able to survive outside the ark. Um, Understanding that... um, less than half of the cumulative area of the Ark's three decks would be needed to take care of all the animals and their enclosures. This meant that there was plenty of room for food, for water, for um, the care of the animals. And some say, can you imagine, though, how did Noah care for these animals? Um, we don't know the details of it, but it's certainly in the realm of possibility. Many of these animals um, could have gone into hibernation. Many of these, many of these um, there's, and again, many of these are, are speculatory, but set up that the animals regarding their waste and the ventilation... They, the, the window that it said was there and how God said it in the language to, to Noah is an indication that it was a window that ran along the top and the width that, and the length that, that created ventilation through the system. Um, there, needless to say, they, they could have gotten water um, through a gravity flow system It it wasn't... I'm not trying to say this is how it was done. I'm saying it's not a stretch of impossibilities. And with God, anyway, nothing is impossible. But um, God told Noah to take food for them, so it's evident that they weren't hibernating the whole time. It's evident that... um, Uh, They had to be fed. They had to be cared for. And uh, in understanding that and seeing that, um, we know that throughout all of history, um, the overwhelming majority of civilizations have a record in their history that goes back to a worldwide flood. Even even um, secular magazines, the Reader's Digest, a number of years ago, uh, came out and, and said even to the Hopi Indians in the North American, they had a record in their history that went back to a worldwide flood. This isn't something that is, that is purely Judeo-Christian. It's evident that uh, with that record... Um, it's evident that there's life, that there's all the animal life is evident here. Some ask, well, how could the ark survive the flood? Um, Scripture gives us the size and even the picture that we showed up here does not necessarily mean that it looked exactly like that, but, um... It's interesting, the length and the breadth and the depth of the ark as given in Genesis chapter 6 have been tested. In 1992, um, a Korean study in, in regard to, um, it's a world-class ship research center, and it was headed by a team of nine researchers, led by Dr. Hong, who openly claims that life came about from the seas as a form of evolution. But in their study of the Ark and its dimensions as given, it combined analysis, testing the ship, with standards comparable to all ship-testing standards, and they found that as they measured stability, um, how it would withstand various waves, um, the study confirmed that the arc could handle waves as high as 98 feet high, that um, it was... In, in all their testing things, it came down right about in the middle of all stability, comfort, hull strength, everything, that it, it would come down right in the middle of lows and highs of all their testing. Um, some say, well, how could it stand a tsunami? When a tsunami travels in deep water... It is imperceptible to ships on the surface. It's only when it reaches reaches the coast that it creates the ultimate chaos. But the ark, they said, could withstand 98-foot waves. Now, I don't expect you to remember all this. I probably won't remember all this. But when someone says, that's a fairy tale, number one, God said it. And it doesn't matter if I think it's a fairy tale. But number two, and that's first and foremost, number two, it's an understanding. A lot of people that don't even believe in God have researched these things and have concluded, you know, it it is in the realm of possibility. People say, well, where did all the water go? At the end of the 150 days, the water decreased. Um Simply put, the water from the flood is in the oceans and the seas. three quarters of the Earth's surface is covered by water. Um, geologists observe that um, it appears that at one time the continents were one time together, not separated by the vast oceans. and um, if you were if you were to lower the mountains, There is enough water right now on the earth to cover the entire globe 1.7 miles deep in water. So to understand, um, God knew what he was doing when he did this, and he is the creator. You will find even in Christian circles, well... Noah's ark, Noah's flood was not a global flood. It was a a localized flood. Now, if someone were to say that to you, would you would you have just a common sense answer to that? Well, you know, basically it's if it was a localized flood, why didn't God tell Noah to just go over the mountain? into another area where it wouldn't be? Why did he have to gather and send, God send, all of these animals if it was a localized flood? And why did God give a rainbow as a promise that he won't send a localized flood again? Tell the people of Cedar Rapids that. Tell the people along the Missouri River that. God gave a promise. Plus, in the New Testament, we find references that uh, Peter said, and he makes reference to it. You read through First and Second Peter. He said that as God brought judgment in Noah's day, so God is going to bring judgment in the end, and the earth will be destroyed by fire. If the flood were only localized, that analogy wouldn't apply. Do you understand? You can't take part of the Bible and say that's not true because it affects the whole Bible. And and Jesus referred to the flood, that would mean that Jesus Christ is either a liar or a lunatic. Peter referred to the flood, the writer of Hebrews referred to the flood. And um, and in understanding, um, God would have repeatedly broken His promise regarding not sending a worldwide flood if it wasn't a worldwide flood. Some say, well, where is the evidence for Noah's flood? I find it interesting... Um, As I get older, I sometimes take things for granted. But how many of you remember Mount St. Helens? Okay, Uh, Mount St. Helens is a very small, um, small piece that gives us indication of some of the things that could have happened in the flood. When I lived in in Montana and I was going door to door and I knocked on a door and and a guy came and and I shared with him a little bit and he said, well, I don't even believe there is a God. I can take you right down here to Yellowstone Park and show you petrified wood that proves that it's millions and millions of years old. It takes millions of years to petrify wood and proves that we evolved. It only took God a short time to petrify wood at Mount St. Helens. As, as Mount St. Helens exploded and that lava and that mud came down to that lake and it washed with it trees and, and they, were, they were locked in that. I can't even think of the name of the lake now. Does anybody remember? Anyway. Trees were petrified, standing up, piled together in a short amount of time that God said, oh, I don't believe God did it for that guy in Livingston, Montana. I believe God did it just to show all things do not continue as they are from the beginning. Can You know... They say the Grand Canyon, millions and millions and millions of years for it to slowly erode. Not if you have all the water that covered all the face of the earth. Why is it that um, you can go on mountains and find fossils of ocean creatures? How do you think they got there? The earth's crust has massive amounts of layered sedimentary rock, sometimes miles deep. And these layers of sand and soil and material, most laid down by water, were once soft like mud, but they are now hard stone. There's evidence all over the world that that shows that Noah's flood modestly speaking, was a very real possibility. Some say, well, where is Noah's ark today? I, We know that it landed on Mount Ararat. There have been expeditions to go to find it. This is my personal belief. One of the reasons I believe God hasn't allowed us to find it is because we would worship the ark not the god of the ark. And you know what? It wouldn't it wouldn't prove to people that God was real. He said, "If I sent Moses and I've sent Moses and the prophets, they didn't believe them. Why do you think someone uh, coming in this regard?" But but the reality is that There is much we can learn. I say all that I've said thus far to say you don't need to fear that it's completely out of the realms of reality. Indeed, it is the work of God. But what do we learn from this? Number one, we learn God is sovereign, God is all-powerful, and God is the judge of mankind. God is sovereign. He can do whatever He wants. He doesn't have to explain to anyone how He did it. He can do it. And and He sent the worldwide flood as a judgment on evil, as a separation of good and evil, and He is coming again to judge all mankind. Secondly, we learn from this in, in relation to today. Man is bent on denying God. Man is born in rebellion against God, is bent on denying God. Peter talks about it. He said there will come a day when there are scoffers that deny that Christ came the first time, that deny a worldwide flood, and they'll deny that Christ is coming again. And and even if you found the ark, there'd be there'd be some that would and many and most. Read the book of Revelation. When God brings severe judgment on the land, do people repent? When they know it's the hand of God, do people repent? No. They gather in war, the nations gather in war against God. Thirdly, we learn from this our daily faith physical life is a testimony of the mercy of God. Every person that is alive on the face of the earth today is a testimony of the mercy of God. Be the agnostic in Spain or the atheist in America or each of us sitting here, life is a gift of God. And, and that gift can be taken away at any time. We do not sustain it. We can do things that we think keep it going. But we do not have life in our hands. The Lord gives life and the Lord takes away life. And it's surely evident in the flood. These last two points are most important and we want to make application. Number four, God's Word is absolutely trustworthy. Not because we can see fee- the feasibility of this happening, but because it is God's Word. And and the what God says, He does whether we understand it or not. I don't understand how God did many things. I don't understand how he's going to do many things. But if this is what God said he's going to do, Moses did, I mean, Noah didn't understand all that, how this was going to happen. But God's Word is absolutely trustworthy. And number five, you will never regret obeying God. Can you imagine, can you imagine... The praise that was offered up to God on that ark as it started raining and as it started, the fountains of the deep opened up and the floods rose. You know, just thinking realistically, this is in the St. Lawrence version, okay? There had to be days when maybe Noah's sons were, you know, wrestling with... Dad, is this are you sure about this? There, there had to be days when, when Noah came in and and you know he slumped down and he was just dead tired and and he may have been thinking, I don't know if I can do it, and perhaps his helpmate came along and said. Here, we've got some supper here for you, and you get a good night's sleep. You'll be ready to go tomorrow again. When they were in that ark, every one of them was thankful that they obeyed God. Whether it meant somebody coming along and encouraging them at a certain time, and there is not one person who has... Obeyed God that ever will regret it. And you may be battling some things in your life, and you might be thinking, ah, it's not worth the fight and give up. And you may be standing at a crossroads, do I obey this or do I not? You will never, never regret obeying God. You know, it's it's pretty evident that, that Brother Scott, folks, God has called him to go to Spain. And there's probably a lot of questions that come to mind. He's never going to regret obeying God. But God may not be calling you to build an ark or to go to Spain, but He might be calling you to something else, some some basic thing. And And it's going against your flesh, and it's going against your grain, you will never, ever regret obeying God. And if God's Word said it, God's Word is absolutely true. And you can trust it. And, and everything around you might be saying, Oh, it's not going to work out, and, and I don't know if it's going to come out the way I want it to. It may not come out the way you want it to, but you will never regret obeying God. And those that came next next Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to spend um, spend this Sunday looking at how the Ark is a type of Christ, and how important it is that that we obey God when He says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me." Anyone who has obeyed the Spirit's prompting and leading to come to Christ, they'll never regret that. But it's not just in coming to Christ, it's whatever God's asking you to do. Noah and his family never regretted obeying God. And regardless of the cost, those throughout history who have obeyed God and it it cost them their life, Never once will you hear them say, I wish I'd never done that. You you won't ever hear that. No one that obeys God regrets it. The question is, are we obedient to God? The question is, are we in the ark? The question is, do we really believe that God's word is absolutely trustworthy? Heavenly Father, I pray that You would cause us to see that You are the God of all flesh. There is nothing that is too hard for You. And Lord, help us to not shy away from standing on the principles and the truths of Your Word. Lord, help us to have a faith that is unshakable, in resting in the fact that Your Word is absolutely trustworthy. And Lord, I don't know the heart condition here today. There may be someone here today that has never trusted You for the forgiveness of sins. They're outside of the ark of the protection of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray today that they would trust You. Perhaps there's a Christian here that's wrestling with, do I do this? Should I obey this? Lord, I pray today that we would take the step of obedience that you're calling us to. Lord, perhaps there's someone here today that um, has been obeying you and they're weary and they're thinking, what's the use? And, And about ready perhaps just to let up and give in. Lord, I pray today that you would encourage and strengthen them that they would realize that they will never regret obeying you. Lord, thank you that your ways are perfect. Thank you that your ways are higher than our ways. And thank you that someday we will understand it all by faith in Christ Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and eyes closed. You're here today and you say, I...